Hey everyone, this is Lee here along with Nathan, my co-host, and this is Means of Creation. This is our show about the future of work and really just the future of technology brought to you by Every, which is a writer's collective focused on business. And for those of you guys who didn't catch our last episode, we are pioneering this new mini series of Web3 explainers, unpacking some of the fundamental concepts of Web3 from first principles. The goal is really to explore different topics, trends, and projects that people want to learn more about, but find confusing and might be a little bit embarrassed to ask out loud. Um, so the goal is really for us to ask the questions that maybe you were too afraid to ask. Um, we're not afraid to ask those questions. Right. And in order to better explain those topics, we're also bringing on a slate of different guests who are each experts in each of those topics to help explain those topics without the jargon. And our goal is that each of these episodes is a little bit shorter than our, our normal ones. So these are going to be snackable, educational episodes that you can quickly get in and out of and get the download on a certain topic. So for the second episode, we are going to be probing into an extremely prominent controversial topic, and that is the impact of crypto on climate change and the environment. Over the last year, as NFTs and crypto have witnessed mainstream adoption, there's also been increasing controversy and a lot of commotion about the impact of this technology on the environment. The fundamental argument is that the process of mining blocks for blockchains and for validating the network is extremely energy intensive, which means that there's a massive carbon footprint associated. And some of the stats that people might have heard out there in the wild include that um, an Ethereum NFT is estimated to have an environmental footprint equivalent to driving 500 miles in a typical gasoline powered car or that um, global Bitcoin mining uses more electricity than entire countries like Argentina, Sweden, or Pakistan. And so understandably, a lot of people are feeling quite upset by this impact on the environment. And so in today's episode, our goal is to unpack whether this is actually happening, is crypto actually destroying the environment? And if so, what can we actually do about this? And to an answer these questions, we are turning to our guest, Joseph Pellant. Joseph is the founder of the Blockchain for Climate Foundation, which is aiming to put the Paris Agreement on the blockchain. He's been operating in the space for multiple years, and we think he's the perfect guest for today's topic. So let's dive straight in. Thank you so much, Joseph, for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Amazing. So I would love to just start off with um, the high level context of when people claim that crypto is destroying the planet, what are they referring to and what do they mean by that? Yeah, well, I think having a hyperbolic term, a kind of wild term like destroying the planet, I think is legitimate and worthwhile from the point of view that it helps easily like put a name and encapsulate stuff. And I think when people say that, when they want to communicate that concern, it is, of course, a, a subset or a meta of the deep, important underlying concern that many people have and absolutely should have, that um, climate change is happening, it's significantly being caused by humans, and that we really don't want it to happen. And so there is an aspect of this that, you know, is incredibly important, that people are thinking about climate, they're trying to find solutions to climate, and they're seeing significant emissions from primarily Bitcoin, and then to another extent, Ethereum, until it's shift to proof of stake, and they're concerned. You mentioned a term there, proof of stake, which a lot of listeners might might not know the, the nuances of that. But I was wondering if we could maybe even start higher level around um, why is crypto more energy intensive? Why does it use more electricity than traditional 
you know, internet products and software products that we've been right. using for decades now. Like podcasting. Presumably all of our computers right now are using a lot of energy. Is podcasting ruining the planet too? Or is this unique to crypto within a computing context? Yeah, great question. I'd, I'd say it's it's unique to crypto or it's exponentially more the issue. And to be specific about that, it's really around proof of work. And I think one thing to note, I usually sort of bury it later on, but proof of stake, which we can talk about, has extremely low carbon footprint. And mm. it's something more in the magnitude of podcasting and our regular use of of computers. And so still an issue, but really kind of a whole different level. Whereas mm. proof of work, which is the consensus mechanism, the way that you secure the Bitcoin blockchain, as well as you currently secure the Ethereum blockchain, is energy intensive by design. And so it is objectively a larger user of electricity, because as they say, it's a feature, not a bug. At the end of the day, it's using a lot of electricity to do a lot of trans a lot of calculations, which do the securing of the blockchain. And so I believe my understanding is correct that the more energy, the more secure. And so there is a fundamental reality happening there where the electricity being used has a carbon footprint, then you are going to be having significant emissions. Uh-huh. Like one way to phrase it, I guess, is like it's le it's less efficient. Like if proof of work is less efficient in terms of energy usage than proof of stake, then like why would that be better in some ways? Because you were saying it's sort of like the, the more energy it uses, the less efficient it is, the, the more secure it is somehow. What causes that? At that basic level, I think it's a great cognate for people that the more electricity you spend, the more secure it is. And that's because more people are contributing and it's making it more expensive to try to defraud the system than you would get mm. um, from doing the defrauding. Bitcoin was one of the very first blockchains and this type of mechanism actually wasn't so crazy at the time um, because of the smaller scale of people right using this mechanism to secure the blockchain, but as the value has grown and it's made sense to uh, acquire the specialized hardware and run that all the time, um, it's sort of gone from something that wasn't really that big of a wrinkle to a very big wrinkle, a very big fold. Right, right, right. Gotcha. So basically like because it requires so much electricity, it's uh, super expensive to sort of overwhelm the computational power of everyone else in the network because theoretically you could insert basically like incorrect things. Like I could claim I have a billion dollars in Bitcoin or whatever, if I had computational power that overwhelmed the rest of the network maybe, but it's just so expensive for me to do that because it would cost me so much electricity that like in all, like it's not feasible for me, even though maybe it's technically possible. Yeah, so there's a thing that they talk about a 51% attack. So oh. if, if you had over 51, you know, over 50% of the hash power, uh, the computing power on the Bitcoin network, then I believe that there's a pathway to reorganizing the blockchain. And as you said, putting in fraudulent transactions. I think a good thing for people to take away is that Bitcoin uses a lot of electricity by design. Um, and I don't see the pathway to having it use less electricity, quite honestly. And so mm -hmm. I think the pathways forward are uh, achieving a shift to renewable energy. There's a lot of people now talking about the ability to shift to renewable energy and to actually reinforce the grid and provide energy to the grid in a way that builds more resilience to the grid um, based on the ability to turn on and off the demand from your Bitcoin. So if there was a real need on the grid, like say in Texas where they had that total breakdown of function in, in last winter, um, that you could turn off your Bitcoin mining machines and provide that. I'm not an expert on that stuff. I do think that 
you would want to see documentation if people are making claims that that's going to happen. I'd want to see the documentation and sort of the rules and agreements saying that, yes, we will actually toggle off our Bitcoin miners uh, to reinforce the grid in the case that this is necessary, because there's a reason why people run their miners all the time, because it's expensive right. hardware and it makes uh, a good return. Um, but it is exciting to see people doing innovation around this. And I think it's, you know, once again, panning back a little bit, but the way that I look at this space, be it for Bitcoin, be it for Ethereum, and NFTs and other sort of pathways for NFTs, you want to quantify the impact, reduce where possible, and offset the rest is sort of how we look at also most carbon accounting issues in the space. Part of what makes the blockchain compelling for so many of the use cases that are being built is the transparency and sort of traceability of things on it. And so I think it lends itself to a, a duty and a requirement that if we are making claims about cleanliness or dirtiness, um, if we are making claims about things that we will promise to do into the future on the blockchain, that we do actually have the opportunity and responsibility to quantify that, to prove it, to document it. Makes sense. Um, I want to delve into kind of maybe maybe a counter argument to the climate argument against crypto. Specifically, there's a quote from John Crane, who's the CEO of Super Rare, which is an NFT marketplace. He has previously said that it's flawed to equate blockchain transactions with carbon emissions and said that um, it's challenging to attach a specific energy consumption figure to a piece of artwork. Um, he said, quote, there's a whole ecosystem of people who are creating emissions. So I don't think it's fair to the artist to say that you created this amount of CO2. You also previously said that figuring out the culpability of NFTs is a little like calculating your share of emissions from a commercial plane flight. If you're on the plane, you're obviously responsible for a portion of that. But if you hadn't bought the ticket, the plane is still going to take off and polluted the same amount anyway. And so I guess like the theme of this is there's actions that we're all taking in our everyday lives that are contributing to carbon emissions, but perhaps the differentiating factor for blockchain is the transparency and the measurability that it offers for exactly how much energy consumption it's taking for every single transaction, which is something that we hadn't had in our everyday lives before and perhaps make it makes it the target um, unfairly of a lot of the attention around climate change. And so I'd love for you to just sort of unpack that theme and um, maybe discuss, uh, yeah, like, should we care this much about crypto applications and the transactions that are happening on crypto networks, given that we're all taking actions in our daily lives that are contributing to climate change? Um, like, is the order of magnitude actually that much more? Or is it just a measurability thing? To the specific quotes that you had, the the one by um, the CEO of, of Super Rare, I think is really interesting. And I think it's really reflecting the heat and the kind of mania that got focused negatively around NFT artists. And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, he is right that there is a whole ecosystem of people creating emissions. Um, and so it's not just the artists. On the flip side, the artists are engaging with it and using the tool. Um, and so that is part of the puzzle. But once again, I think this is a reason to dig more deeply into the question um, and help artists understand what are their options and, and how to best understand their engagement with the system uh, and allow them to make a decision based on more full information rather than just running off, flying off the handle about somebody freaking out about their NFTs using more energy than they've ever used in years and stuff like that. I think that embedded in the quote that I had about minting an NFT kind of being like going on a flight. I'd love to sort of, to use the term, unpack that one a little bit more. 
the Ethereum blockchain is running all the time, and it currently all of its blocks are full. So it's basically all of its bandwidth, if you will, is being used right now by some transaction or another. And one pays gas, which is just basically paying a little bit of Ether, the Ethereum token, to make a transaction. Basically, if I'm going to mint an NFT and I want it to go through, I'll have to be paying enough gas so that it actually is able to make it onto the blockchain. And so what's really interesting here is because the blockchain is always going, if I were to decide to make an NFT right now or to transfer an NFT and I do that or I don't, the carbon footprint of Ethereum is exactly the same. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. It's it's like it's the same argument that my mother used to give towards me when I became a vegan at age 11. It's like, well, the, the animal's already dead, like you're not mm-hmm. helping anything. But I guess like I, the counter argument that I would make is in aggregate, people right. can have an impact. It does impact demand if artists collectively all decide we're going to stop like producing NFTs or people decide Mm -hmm. that they're going to stop collecting. It would have to be more than just the NFT space. It would have to be Mm -hmm. sort of the whole Ethereum space of note there. Because you're absolutely right. And I think it's the same with the plane example that who else are you going to ascribe the carbon footprint to if not the person who makes the decision to use it? Yeah, it's so interesting because it's like if, you know, today I decide for dinner, I'm going to switch and only have vegetables instead of meat, then Obviously, nothing will have really changed in the world. Like all the same things that happened that led to today will, will, you know, have already happened basically. Like it's already at the grocery store just waiting for someone to buy it. And if no one buys it, then it'll just go to waste. But at the same time, like, you know, the vegan and vegetarian community over the years, the aggregate impact they've had is like hundreds of thousands or millions of, you know, decreased uh, like revenue. If there was no vegetarian or vegan community, then the factory farm and and animal industry would be just like that much bigger, maybe 5% bigger or whatever. I don't know what it would be. I think it just depends basically like, ultimately there's there's always a trade-off. Anything we do requires energy. It would be great if all of our energy sources came from renewable sources. And that's kind of like the broader goal is like, okay, it shouldn't be bad to use energy. Energy should be not bad for the planet is like the actual point of... (laughs) You know what I mean? Well, like, there's a long road on that one, though. So I think, uh-huh, you know, yeah. it's one can discriminate on how they use energy because a lot of it is dirty. And even yeah. if there is new clean energy being added to the grid, arguably it would be good to use it to decarbonize and have clean electricity left over for other folks rather than plow it directly into Bitcoin mining. But I think that the point about, you know, the vegan point or, or Nathan, your decision, you know, today to make that change it's a great example, and it actually is different than the Ethereum example. Um, uh-huh. Because if you believe in markets, you would recognize that Lee's choice or your choice not to eat meat today is going to work its way through the market system and cause less demand for meat and the GHGs involved in that. With the Ethereum blockchain, it, it's just fundamentally different because it's always running and somebody's going to do it, whereas that's not the same. That would be, I guess, for the example, if, if you know, Nathan, you chose to eat a burger based on the pricing of the burger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it may be that like at a certain pricing, it's sort of pricing folks out. I haven't thought that that allegory through. Um, it is worthy of note that there is also a route to indirect increase in emissions from doing an NFT um, on Ethereum. And how that would work is if a lot of people are using gas and pushing their NFT NFT transactions through, then that may have the indirect um, pressure on miners to realize it's more profitable than even previously to mine Ethereum. And so we're going to actually add more miners, we're going to add more hardware, use more electricity, and then cause an indirect increase in emissions. But I think that when you break that down, 
for me, it sort of falls out of the equation. One of the major reasons why is because of the very clear signaling from Ethereum that they are moving to proof of stake. Um, mm -hmm. And so when that proof of stake happens, it's no longer useful to be using those Ethereum miners for Ethereum. I think there are other blockchains, minor ones that they can mine. But in this indirect vision of things, it doesn't make sense, even if NFTs were to be pushing up gas prices, it doesn't make sense to go buy more hardware. Um, because in six months to a year, it's going to be essentially worthless or worth way less. So this is another one of those fascinating dynamics and the nuances of this. And I think we can really go into the weeds. Um, I do think it does start to walk us over to this point about Ethereum going through its merge and um, completing the process to becoming proof of stake because it, it is great and very happy to dig into the nuances of proof of work with, with Ethereum and NFTs right now. But it's not a red herring, but it's a problem that actually is quite significantly on its way to being solved. And so mm -hmm. I think now in spring of 2021, um, spring here in Vancouver, at least, um, it's looking forward is also really valuable. And so looking forward at what's next for NFTs, if I'm an artist, or if I'm a developer looking at building an NFT platform, how do I choose between existing proof of stake blockchains like Polygon or like Tezos or like the Near protocol and Ethereum? And part of that is going to be the carbon footprint aspect. Um, another aspect is going to be availability of developer tools and an ecosystem. And then a lot is also going to come down to cost and value. So even though Ethereum will be going to proof of stake and extremely low carbon, it will still cost probably more to use it than these other blockchains for the foreseeable future. On the flip right. side, I think that like 99% of the dollar value of NFTs are on Ethereum. And so that is a really compelling case to use Ethereum. And if I think if you bring it back to the artists, um, them having an opportunity to be working on a blockchain with really high value for their art, rather than saying, well, it's going to boil the oceans. And so you need to work on another blockchain where they're getting 1% kind of on average of what they would earn on Ethereum is actually not fair to artists. And I think that having a global view of the pros and the cons where the roadmaps are is valuable for making that decision as you're participating right. in NFTs. Yeah, I, I would love to talk about that. Um, I think this is like a good segue to talking about what are the solutions to the current problem of proof of work. And I think like it's it's useful to clarify for listeners here that when people are talking about the climate impact of crypto, they're specifically referring to the climate impact of proof of work blockchains, blockchains that are using proof of work as their consensus mechanism, which is extremely energy intensive and entails a network of um, miners all around the world solving really difficult computationally intensive math problems to secure the network. That is one type of consensus mechanism. And there's other types of consensus mechanisms mechanisms out there that are less energy intensive and don't and aren't proof of work. Um, and so when people talk about um, the climate impact of crypto, I think they conflate all of that together, but it's actually more nuanced and specific. The climate impact is specific to every different blockchain and different types of consensus mechanisms. So anyways, that's a slight aside, but I would love to hear, Joseph, you t talk about the solutions going forward of what can be done to rectify the energy intensiveness of these proof of work blockchains. Like what can you talk about proof of stake and what that is and and other technical solutions, and then maybe other mitigants for the climate impact of crypto in general. Yeah, well, let me see if I can sum it up, and you know, might as well do it now than rather than wait for the end. Bitcoin is always going to use a lot of electricity, and so 
with transparency, folks can decide what they want to do with it, how they want to deal with that, um, both at an individual consumer level and at a government and governance level. And so I think that it's existing as a high electricity user and, and that is foundational to it. I believe that one of the major steps is to move to renewable energy and from my particular point of view, moving to that renewable energy and evidencing it. So I think it's really important that if you're saying that, if that is your your talking point around Bitcoin, that you actually are evidencing that, monitoring that, and then showing the performance of that footprinting over time. And then you should offset the rest. And so with those calculations of the carbon footprint, we already see um, ETFs, exchange traded funds here in Canada um, for Bitcoin, uh, like nine point is uh, buying offsets to offset the footprint of the Bitcoin that they hold. And so I think that's a great approach for ETFs. I think that companies that want to hold it on their balance sheet could make decisions to do that and individual users could do that. So I think those are sort of some incision points um, around offsetting the rest. When it comes down to NFTs, I think right now for the next half year or so, Ethereum will have a significant carbon footprint. And then after that, it won't. And so for this next six months to a year, make some decisions around that with Ethereum. Perhaps you offset the rest there or try to use gas efficient tools um, to be lowering your footprint. I do think once we get to proof of stake with Ethereum, it'll be great. I'm really hoping that people turn around and actually try to offset all the way back to the start of Ethereum. So if anybody's listening, um, you know, would love to jam on that. Why don't we just make the whole um, blockchain, Ethereum blockchain carbon neutral, eminently doable with high quality carbon offsets, even ones that have been brought on chain already um, by different groups, which we can talk about later. And then beyond that, there is no there is extremely minimal climate impact of crypto the climate impact of crypto other than those cases bitcoin and ethereum for the next half year to year um, is essentially the same as running your computer as having our podcast Um, and so i think that the climate impact of crypto aspect dissolves away and it just becomes the climate impact of our use of modern technology which i think is a different discussion and and it's as simple as that i would love to hear kind of the the other side of this story which is um, how crypto can actually be used to combat climate change, the new mechanisms and um, like affordances of crypto. How can that be applied to actually solving um, climate change and carbon emissions? And I was wondering if you could talk about that and also maybe highlight some projects that are doing work in this area and feel free to plug your own as well. Yeah, absolutely. So that's why I'm in the space in the first place. Um, I am a product of the carbon market. I started developing carbon offsets back in 2004, and I've been basically doing it ever since. And so uh, putting it mildly, you know, a major part of my personal mission um, is to be climate change. And uh, a part of my how I think about that is building and utilizing mechanisms to get and keep carbon out of the atmosphere, to pay people for their work to do that, and to create a pathway and a runway to do exponentially more. Um, And so I got involved in the crypto space back in 2017, when I read this amazing article about Ethereum, and have been working ever since to build tools based on Ethereum and in the blockchain to directly help beat climate change. Our work at Blockchain for Climate Foundation has sort of been where the majority of that work has been. And our concept there was back in 2017, seeing that a really important um, need within the traditional climate space that I inhabited uh, was helping bring carbon markets uh, of the Paris Agreement to fruition sooner rather than later, and building in some modern mechanisms to help them be more effective, be more liquid, and uh, 
fundamentally be able to grow faster and bigger based on this new technology of blockchain. And there are some really, you know, obvious and clear ways why the technology enables that. And so we've been building a platform on Ethereum to enable national governments to issue and exchange their Paris Agreement carbon credits, which are known as ITMOs, or Internationally Transferred Mitigation Outcomes, on the blockchain. This was in service of trying to get a tool in place sooner rather than later, um, get it in place as soon as possible so people could start issuing and exchanging. Uh, we didn't actually get agreement on that part of the Paris Agreement until last November in Glasgow at COP26. And so we've been working a long time sort of up to this point to try to make that happen. So use one is actually just having infrastructure for national governments to be able to issue their ITMOs, um, and we call it as BITMOs, Blockchain Internationally Transferred Mitigation Outcomes. Um, and then the other foot to fall is an ability to transfer those around in a more open and transparent and straightforward fashion than would be the case if they follow the same tools that were used under the Kyoto Protocol um, and the existing tools of the carbon market. The big aha, and also why I've become part of the NFT community, uh, is because we recognize that NFTs were actually the missing piece in, in the sort of tech stack of what I was describing there, because, of course, carbon offsets or, or carbon credits really gain their value or are able to be under their value is able to be understood based on the information that goes around with them. It's not like they're an apple or a diamond or something that you can sort of inspect um, a carbon credit um, because it's an environmental asset based on a real but intend it's an intangible asset based on a real world activity, but it gets abstracted away into this carbon credit or now into this token. Um, but what NFTs enable is us to pack in the information around every single ton of carbon credit of carbon offset or ITMO right onto you know the face of the NFT. And then what we're also doing is attaching sort of long form all of the PDF documents that you know can go on for hundreds of pages if you need to dig down deeper into that system. And so um, this was what we kind of a had back in 2017, 2018 and uh, have been building out through till now. And we were really excited right at the end of 2020. We got our testnet version up. And uh, last year ahead of COP, we actually got our platform launched on the Ethereum network. And so it is there standing by, ready for national parties, i.e. governments, to use for their issuance and exchange of their, of their ITMOs as part of the Paris Agreement. That's amazing. How, how does it work? Like if I'm a government... What do I do? Like, uh, do I give you Ethereum and then you give me a thing and you do a thing in the environment? Like, how does it, yeah, how does it work? Great question. So what happens is in our system, if you're, so national party is kind of a technical term for um, the office in each national government that is party to the Paris Agreement um, and, and interacts with the Paris Agreement. And so there is a current world centralized national function of, you know, you know, a leader and then their office that has the right to issue ITMOs. Um, and so what we can do is we can land a Ethereum wallet, they can spool up an Ethereum wallet, uh, and then we basically whitelist it into our system or indicate that this wallet, this Ethereum wallet, um, is Canada's or Chile's wallet. Um, and so then when they issue a token, it's very clear that it was this country. This is really important for the Paris Agreement geekery of it because um, there's a thing called corresponding adjustments, which means if I'm, you know, if I'm country A, 
I go and reduce emissions, uh, and then I want to sell them uh, out of country. I've reduced these emissions, but I actually need to put them back on artificially onto my carbon footprint because I've sold the benefit to another country. Um, and because under the Paris Agreement and the UNFCCC system, it's countries that are assessed and and held accountable at some level for their carbon footprint. And so you need to know who issued that um, that token. Gotcha. So like if I'm a if I'm a country and I reduce my carbon emissions through some policy or some direct government activity, then I sort of based on I partially maybe the honor system, partially like there's inspectors internationally or something, somehow I am I I I then press buttons in my computer and it creates this ITMOS token or Bitmos. Um, and then that can be bought and sold. And every country that's a party to the Paris Agreement needs to kind of like maintain certain good standing. And you have two ways of doing it, either buying from people who are able to do it, therefore funding like carbon reduction, or just doing it yourself. So the idea is like rich countries like the US that might have a harder time reducing our carbon emissions are probably going to be buying from other countries like, I don't know, like Finland or something that are like doing a great job at it and issuing a lot of these uh, ITMOS. Is that, do I have like the basic idea? Yeah, there's lots to unpack in there. Um, but that sort of first part around that national governments, um, you know, can designate or deign that they have reduced emissions and then make these ITMOs. And so that would be the same, you know, with or without our platform. That's kind of the function. Um, there's a significant amount of flexibility in how countries go about creating their Article 6.2 ITMOs um, around that quality and standardization and certification. And that's just sort of baked into the process and not something that, that I can change or that we can change. Right. And so what we've done is, and this is one of the reasons why I think the Bitmo platform is, is valuable, is where we can't tell them what to do, because that is sort of a sovereign right under the Paris Agreement, what we can do is be very transparent um, about how each country um, has issued these tons and allow the buyer. So you basically have buy side quality control rather than a focus on demand side quality control. And our goal is by that transparency and ease of sortability that's sort of inherent in the Bitmo platform. And really in NFTs, you can do it on OpenSea as well, which is one of the major NFT marketplaces. Um, you can sort for, you know, okay, I want projects, all the projects. Let me see all the projects from Canada or let me see all of the forest carbon projects, or let me see all the projects, you know, issued in 2018. Um, and so that ability to sort allows that transparency rubber to hit the road around what people are deciding they want to buy. I also foresee a reality where you could have this really simple toggle where uh, major buyers of Article 6.2 ITMOs, uh, potentially BITMOs, can say, okay, well, we are going to have this requirement around vintage year, this requirement around project type, this requirement around country. So maybe we only want to buy from lesser developed countries, or maybe we only want to buy from countries that have totally already achieved their national, their NDC, um, their nationally determined contribution, i.e. their commitment to reduce emissions. These are some of the aspects where the NA, where the blockchain native reality of this um, the Web3 reality of this becomes very valuable. And I think another hat tip to um, why the system makes sense in a Web3 point of view, if, you know, one of the definitions or values of NF, of, sorry, acronyms, um, of Web3 is, is ownership economy. And so yeah. what is really clear here is that 
you know, the country owns the emission reduction outcome. And there's amazing stuff in this sort of last half year that's really come to pass around Web3, climate and crypto. It's of note that these are actually really great assets, in this case, environmental assets to be tokenizing, and that we see NFTs as a really great way to do that, because of the ability to pack in rich data, but still have it be sortable, portable and all the rest. Awesome. This has been really informative. Um, we talked about the differences between proof of work versus proof of stake blockchains and how when when we are using proof of stake based apps, um, the energy impact is really comparable to really any of the other types of internet products and software that we've all been using for a really long time. And then we talked about some crypto projects that are helping to mitigate climate change. I would love to close out on a few recommendations that you have um, for people out there who care a lot about climate change in the environment, but who still want to engage in the crypto ecosystem today and use various applications and play around, what should they keep in mind? Or are there specific like networks they should be exploring? Um, what would you recommend that they do? And maybe also the set of recommendations for creators and artists who are trying to participate as well? Absolutely. So I will say that I think you can go out and use any of the proof of stake blockchains without any concern for a negative environmental impact. And I think that you you should go and do that. Um, and so Polygon is um, an amazing um, layer two of Ethereum. Um, the Near protocol has done really neat stuff. They have a tool called Mintbase. They've been making NFTs there for some time. Um, they have really great developer tools. And so if you're concerned, you can go there right away. Um, really burgeoning community on Tezos. Um, used to have Hiccutnunk that tanked, um, but of course, all the stuff was on the blockchain, so they're able to port it into, you know, basically a new user interface. So if you're concerned, and you need to have that clarity, then go look at at one of those chains and, and get cracking. I think with Ethereum, once again, my quantify the impact, reduce where possible, offset the rest, I think comes into play. And so I think if you're keen on that, then you should absolutely use Ethereum. There's a, a ton of value. It's holding up well right now, at least for the very moment, um, under you know the dip of traditional stock markets and of, of crypto. Um, if you're wanting to quantify your footprint of your Ethereum wallet, uh, there's a website, carbon.fyi, run by the Offsetra team, and you just plug in your Ethereum wallet public key, and it will say what the carbon footprint of your Ethereum wallet all the way back to the start of Ethereum was. And then you know, and then you can offset with Offsetra if you want, you can buy from a traditional carbon offset seller, um, you could go buy base carbon tons um, from Toucan, uh, who have created a tool for people to go and tokenize their Vera voluntary carbon standard carbon offsets. So there's a variety of off-chain and now on-chain tools to quantify your impact and offset the rest. Definitely check us out at blockchainforclimate.org. We're at Block for Climate on Twitter. I'm at Joseph Pallant. You know, a lot of the value that I think you would get by looking there is seeing the other amazing work that has really come to the fore over the last year. One of the amazing groups and amazing platforms that's been created is called KlimaDAO. And what Klima has enabled is a carbon offset backed cryptocurrency um, that ingests carbon credits, tokenized carbon credits, and and issues a crypto token that then interacts, it goes up and down. For people familiar with crypto, it, it makes a lot of sense. What is so fascinating about Klima, and you know, it's really leapfrogged even my kind of wildest dreams about um, climate and crypto. And one of those major things is it's kind of become a liquidity 
engine for pulling in more offsets in onto the blockchain and into its system. And so mm. it started with the work of Toucan and their base carbon ton. Um, Toucan very soon is releasing a nature carbon ton that has a, a more specific eligibility criteria for what types of offsets can be used into it. And it's going to be focused on nature-based tons. Um, you also have MCO2 through Moss, where they've got Brazilian... Uh, I think mostly avoided deforestation type projects. And I know that there's other carbon credit types planned to be pulled into the climate ecosystem. So fascinating. Um, it's a DAO and they've really got that up and running. So it's kind of unbelievable to see the quality and output of this um, of this community because they've got hundreds of folks that are being incentivized by the DAO and paid directly by the DAO to contribute in marketing, in operations, in partnerships and stuff. So it's it's pretty fascinating community. Part and parcel of that, and you know, I think a critical component of that success um, is uh, Toucan, and they are a group that has really built these mechanics to tokenize these um, Vera carbon offsets. Um, and I have huge hats off to them because we've been working on tokenizing offsets for a long time, and they have built a very elegant present tool that's tokenized more than 17 million tons of offsets um, and about to launch into a whole new neat phase with this nature carbon ton. So I'm very impressed by their team there as well. And then from there, there's this amazing space of people that have already been working really hard in this and that are popping up. I guess one of the, th the things to bring up and uh, a group that's really been engaging and helping me think through and, and learn a lot of the content that we talked about today is this group called Blockchain Infrastructure Carbon Offset Working Group, or BICOWG, BICOWG, it's B-I-C-O-W-G on Twitter. And this is a group of people that have come together from sort of crypto, sort of hardware and mining pool space to people working in regenerative agriculture um, and on the Cosmos blockchain and uh, IE Regen Network. Um, they've been doing long-term amazing work on how do you enable and fund more regenerative agriculture by unitizing and now tokenizing that impact and feeding that into the magic of the blockchain writ large, and in particular, a really foundational role that they're playing in the Cosmos ecosystem that that, that totally blows my mind. Uh, to folks like myself, to folks like Klima and Toucan, all part of BICOWG. Um, and so we are really, you know, have been working and will continue to work to be able to help answer some of these questions that you were asking today, that I think that your listeners are really interested, and that I think is really important um, to have a kind of I won't call us neutral, but I, I think it's, I, I really like the quality and, and the discourse coming here. We're all interested in using these tools and building it, but we're also not here to sort of whitewash it or greenwash it. We want to weigh right. in because you don't have to whitewash it to have crypto. You need to solve these issues like we've gone through in depth today. Um, and that's how we get where we want to be, where people can feel good about the climate impact, where people can ideally, you know, take proactive steps like what we're doing at Blockchain for Climate Foundation and so many others in this system. You know, I don't want people to recoil and say, oh my God, crypto is boiling the ocean. I want people to lean in and say, here's issues, here's how we solve them. Here is how I can find, if I'm interested, my role within this space and let's move forward on it because there's amazing, um, amazing present and amazing future. Awesome. Well, Joseph, thank you so much for sharing the work that you are doing. It's very important. And for unpacking all of these topics with us today. Um, it's such an important topic. And I think the subject of so much discussion and confusion as well. So really appreciate your coming onto the show and hope to talk to you soon. Thanks so much. It's an honor. I really appreciate it. And great to speak with you too.